0: We have a special announcement to make. The Sake Future Summit, after a two-year absence, is back. The Sake Future Summit is a celebration of all things sake and shochu and awamori and gathers experts from around the world to peer into the looking glass and predict what will happen in the worlds of Japan's indigenous drinks over the coming years. It's being held on January 8th and 15th from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Japan time. For more information, check out sakefuturesummit.com. Again, all one word, sakefuturesummit.com. But wait, there's more. Yours truly will be emceeing the show. In addition to running the show on both Sundays, I'll also be hosting a roundtable about Japan's indigenous spirits, awamori and shochu. Just like a couple of years ago, it will be very educational and entertaining. Eight sessions over two Sundays. Don't miss it. So don't forget January 8th and January 15th from 8 a.m. Japan time at sakefuturesummit.com. Kanpai!
1: Sometimes you need someone to be
2: around you Someone to sit down and pour you, show choo. But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the
3: only way. Sometimes that's when you finally find your space.
0: Hello and welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in Tokyo, Japan. And with me in Foka is my co-host Steven Lyman. We're both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and we've visited more distilleries than we can even remember. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for a combined three decades, and we're very excited to share them with you through
3: this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? Doing well, Christopher. Almost the end of the year. We can see the finish line. Uh, That's always exciting, the holidays coming up. And... We decided as we finish out season two, we're going to do something a little bit different and that is to profile a distillery, uh, which we haven't really done before. We had the three episode, A Life in a Shochu Distillery, which is really a a deep dive into what life is like working at Yamato Zakura specifically, but it wasn't really a distillery profile. Mm -hmm. We don't get into the history of the distillery and, you know, that sort of thing. And then, if you go back and listen to our different barley episodes, I think you get a really clear picture of who Sanwa Shirui is, the, the makers of Ichigo, because we talk about them a lot. Yeah, right. But we haven't done a dedicated episode to a distillery. But that's something I think I want to bring into our programming in season three and beyond, because there are hundreds of distilleries for us to talk about. And we'll start with the ones we know really well, and then we'll continue to learn and get to know other distilleries. So hopefully, if this podcast goes on for a couple of decades maybe we'll get through all of them yeah um, <laughs> it's gonna take a little while <laughs> not, not committing to that but uh certainly uh, something to aspire to sure yeah
0: there's so much quality there's so much diversity across japan in terms of the distilleries that are making shochu and of course awamori down south in okinawa and absolutely heading into season three of the podcast i think we must. Uh, across this bridge. We have to start talking about the people, the places, the processes of these individual distilleries. And yeah, let's get it started in 2022.
3: Sure. If I can just make one quick aside before we really dive into this episode. Next episode is our 50th episode and we've decided to do a and a So, it's basically an ask us anything episode. So, if you tweet at us, contact us through Instagram, any way you know to get a hold of us please reach out and ask your questions and we will answer them in next week's episode. So let's get started. And it's ladies first, right? I mean, we're American. I say that to Japanese people all the time and they look at me quizzically. Yeah. Furusawa Distillery or Furusawa Jozo. That's right. Furusawa Distillery was established in
0: 1892 as Furusawa Sadaichi Shoten in Odotsu Village in Nichinan-Miyazaki. This is a a village it's a very small little community of people it's called a, a muda and muda i guess best translates as village there's a the way of of kind of grouping and subdividing the different regions of japan is quite interesting it's different from where most people listening to this will have become accustomed to in, in their own, whatever way your postal service delivers the mail, you know, that sort of is, is based upon how the streets and neighborhoods are laid out. But on the top level, and this is a purely an aside for those who are curious, the states, for lack of a better term, are called prefectures or keng. There's 47 of those. And then within each prefecture, there are cities. In Tokyo, there are even wards, which is kind of a special exception. And then sometimes uh, kind of Within those are towns and villages, as I said before. And the administrative responsibilities is often, um, at least from the cities to the down to the villages, is is very what side to side. It's not necessarily hierarchical. There's a lot of teamwork that goes into managing these districts and these neighborhoods. Nichinan City, where Odotsu resides, is basically Odotsu is on a spit of land, right in between the Pacific Ocean and the Hosoda, Hosoda River. Mm-hmm. It's a really
3: narrow strip of land that's surrounded by water, and it's a fascinating place to visit. Yeah, I think it's about three to five hundred yards wide. It's it's not very not very big at all, and not at all. You could probably probably a professional baseball player could throw a, a rock most of the way across it. It really is quite a. Uh... Well known area for shochu, Nichinan in general, but then Odotsu itself. Futosawa Distillery is on this tiny little road, like basically two cars would have a hard time passing each other if they were anything other than Japanese K cars. And yet on that tiny little road, there are two distilleries within maybe 100 yards of each other, 200 yards. Yeah, of each if other. that, if yeah, that. They're yeah. really, really close. And They started as, as Christopher said, Furusawa Sadaichi Shoten and Furusawa Sadaichi was the patriarch. He was the founder of the company. He was the first generation toji and he would have been the current toji's, what, probably great, great grandfather, I would believe. Yeah, I think so. And they made everything. They made soy sauce, miso, rice vinegar, sake. And when they started out, they were making two kinds of shochu. They were making rice shochu and they were making sweet potato shochu. Yeah, basically, they
0: were specializing in products made from
3: koji. Yeah, that's a great way to explain it, right? They were basically a koji fermenting company that was making all of these different food and beverage products. And unhelpfully, when they started, every single brand was called Yamafuru. (laughs) (laughs) So you better read carefully and whether you're buying. You know, miso or or sake or or shochu. But in the early 20th century, they did decide to diversify and the shochu became known as Yaizakura, which it is actually still called today. The main brands from Fudasawa Distillery are called Yaizakura here in Japan. Yeah, and
0: things were apparently going quite well for the family business because in 1926, they completed construction of their brewery distillery which incorporates the family home, of course, also that beautiful Japanese garden that we gush about all the time, and plenty of floor space to make all of these different products that Stephen just mentioned. I guess by today's standards, this would be a rather small distillery, but at that time, it would have been quite
3: impressive for that tiny village of Odotsu. Yeah, no question. And it's, it's a time capsule. It's barely changed at all. Mm. I mean, the garden is still resolutely traditionally Japanese. The house where the family lives is resolutely traditionally Japanese. There are virtually no modern conveniences. I mean, they've added electricity, <laughs> but not much else. Sure. And then, of course, World War II also brought about some changes for the, f- for the distillery and for the family. Odutsu Village had a, a military outpost, uh, I guess a home defense garrison of some sort, That were a little sketchy on exactly what was there, but there was a small garrison of Japanese troops. And the distillery was worried about being bombed because a lot of distilleries in Japan during the war were converted to uh, fuel production. They were actually making fuel for Japanese airplanes and other vehicles, motorized vehicles. And so some distilleries ended up being targeted by the American air raids. And so what Furosawa ended up doing is building a cement bunker. To store their shochu in the floor of their main uh, fermentation room. It sounds like really forward thinking or really a smart way to do something but when you actually inspect this bunker, I don't think they had any idea the power of modern <laughs> bombs at that time. Yeah. And, and And that's probably fair because I'm a fan of history and there was such a rapid transformation in the mechanization of, of warfare, in the first half of the 20th century that it was almost unrecognizable for from what it was in the 19th century, and so it makes complete sense that somebody who wasn't involved in in the fighting would not have any sense of the scope of destruction that could be done by an air raid. Yeah. So it's it's comically thin, basically this uh cement bunker, the cement walls on yeah. that thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: It really is. I think it could have survived. The bunker would have protected whatever was in it. If, you know, for some reason there was a massive typhoon and the distillery partially collapsed or something like that, I think probably it would protect the shochu from the roof coming down, but not if there was a proper explosion. The bunker is still used to this day. It's lined, they've now lined it with tile, essentially. They do still have shochu in there. It's filled up as, um, you know, you open the, this metal hatch on it and you get a nice waft of the, of the spirit that's sleeping beneath. And it's, it's funny. They, they use it to this day in 2022, they still have shochu sleeping in there. And I think it goes without saying that the, the distillery itself never s- suffered any sort of explosion that could have tested the
3: willpower of that bunker. That's right. And Odotsu Village was such a backwater, I think it really wasn't on the American military radar for places to to target. Um, sure. And I guess thinking a little bit more about it is if it wasn't a direct hit to the bunker, it's possible that it would have protected the stores Fair. even if there was, a, like you said, a collapse or a fire or other things that might have happened mm-hmm. uh, to the distillery. But fortunately, uh, nothing did happen. Unfortunately, At the end of the war, the second generation toji, Torao Furusawa, passed away suddenly. So, this would have been Saraichi's uh, son, Furusawa, the current generation, Mm -hmm. Furusawa's grandfather. He didn't have any sons to take over. So, his daughter, Motoko Furusawa, became the third generation toji. To our knowledge, she is likely the first female toji in modern, at least Miyazaki prefectural history. Mm-hmm. So, a pretty uh, historically significant moment when she took over in 1945. And she did a lot when she was running the company. She did not sit back and rest on her laurels. This is in the, the post-war era. Japan was going through some pretty drastic changes structurally, economically. And she incorporated into a general partnership company, which is a standard uh, business classification that's used by most distilleries today. And then she also installed a kawachi drum, to increase the efficiency of koji production. Before the war, they were 100% handmade shochu. Now they're a combination. They make both handmade and Mm machine-made using this uh, kawachi drum. Sure. And then she also established several new brands beyond the Yai Zakuda line before retiring in 1974. So, she did have a pretty productive nearly 30-year run as the toji and president of the company. Yeah. um, She's still with us too, thankfully. She's Been
0: enjoying retirement for nearly 50 years now. In 1974, when she retired, her husband, Norimasa Furusawa, took over. It's relatively common, actually, in Japan for a man to take his wife's family name when there's a family business involved. So he was effectively marrying into the family to to take the reins. So after marrying into the family... Norimasa eventually took over the company from his wife, but in doing
3: so, he of course had to become a Futusawa himself. Yeah, that's right. And he so he became the fourth generation Toji, and he was prolific. The same year he took over, he created a new brand, which is still around today. It's called Isho Hanjo Tsubo. Isho Hanjo means prosperous lifetime. So this brand is actually uh given as a gift to people who are starting new businesses in the hopes that their business will be prosperous for a lifetime that they will have a successful long running business really to wish them good fortune and it comes in a really beautiful traditional ceramic pot and i was actually thinking as a, as i was reflecting on on that brand is we should probably be giving those to our friends who start businesses i think that would be a nice nice little gesture that's that would be
0: pretty slick i like that idea although if our friends are taking their cues from watching us start businesses. I doubt any of them are going to start any businesses. Soon. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> um, they probably they probably learned from what we've learned. But uh, yeah, well, while Norimasa started with that brand, he was not remotely finished. Three years later in 1977, in fact, he began making barley and buckwheat shochu under the Yaizakura brand that we've been talking about up to now. And a year later he made the decision to stop producing miso, although they did continue to make the other brewed products that were in their portfolio after that. And then between 1985 and 2002, he released eight new shochu brands, including our favorite, Hitori Aruki, in 1995. Perhaps seeking to expand his shochu production even further, in 2005, he shut down completely the brewing side of the business so yamahuru their original brand from this family business was put out to pasture after count it, 113 years it's a good run so there was no more sake isho yeah, hanjo i guess huh? respect <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> right so no more sake no more soy sauce Meeting vinegar's gone to he went on to create two more shochu brands before dying very unexpectedly
3: in 2007. That's right. And Hitori Aruki was actually their first breakout brand. It was their first brand to go national in Japan. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. Absolutely. Really wonderful sweet potato shochu. We're, we're big, big fans of it. Every so often when I'm down in Miyazaki, I'll be scouring off the beaten path liquor stores and find a vintage bottle of it and that ends up in my collection mm-hmm. to find something that was made back, you know. 10, 15, 20 years ago is is pretty fun. He was prolific. In 34 years running the company, he created 12 shochu brands and transformed the business from the makers of all koji fermented food and beverage to shochu only. His very sudden passing did throw the distillery into a little bit of crisis. He died October 17th, 2007. He collapsed during production on the distillery floor Ugh. and he he was gone six hours later. For those of you who, who understand sweet potato shochu production, that's the heart of the season. They could not stop. They just had to keep going. And his daughter, Masako Furusawa, by this time had returned to work in the distillery and she'd been there for several years, basically apprenticing under her father. And she suddenly became the toji. There was nobody else to do it. She was thrown into the role of Toji and she had to figure out how to keep this whole thing going while not even having time to grieve the loss of her father, right? Yeah, and something that compounded the crisis is that her father, he wasn't a good record keeper. <laughs> he might have been prolific at coming up with new brands and changing things and making decisions. I mean, he sounds like quite a vital guy, you know, and and he his passing must have been a shock to the family, but once he was gone, they didn't know a lot of what they had. Right. Yeah. And I guess that's where Yakushi comes from, right? That's right. That's right. Can you tell that story? Sure. So, uh, Yakushi is a brand of barley shochu. When Furosawa-san, when Masako, when she had a chance to breathe after the sweet potato season was finished, and she started to do an inventory of everything that was in the distillery, because she didn't even know it was in tanks, Mm -hmm. you know? The different storage tanks were unlabeled. And when she went to the ledgers, they weren't well documented. Things didn't make sense. And she had to basically do this forensic inventory of of all of her stock. Right? She found this unlabeled tank and when she tasted it, she's like, all right, it's barley, but it is hot. It is like really, really high alcohol. And so, she went and she did her little laboratory test on it. She found that it was uh, 55% alcohol. (laughs) And that is highly illegal. Illegal. You cannot store spirits. Uh, in in a shochu under a shochu license, you cannot store your spirit over forty four point nine nine percent alcohol. Right, you can't break that forty five percent barrier. That's right. And she panicked. She called up uh, a department store in Tokyo that had uh, a really good relationship with the distillery, and that she's like, "Look, I got an idea for you. <laughs> I've got this tank of barley shochu. We can make a private bar- brand. I'll sell you the whole thing. What do you think?" And I'm sure she gave them a great price because she just needed to get it out of the distillery before she got audited by the taxman. Right. And so, they agreed. They came up with the Yakushi brand. She diluted it. She bottled it. She shipped it off to Tokyo and it was a hit. And then she was like, damn it. <laughs> yes. I mean, she didn't even know how old it was probably. Right. She didn't know the age, like when it was made. She didn't understand the mash bill necessarily. She knew it was barley, but was it rice koji and then barley or barley koji and then barley? Was it white koji, black koji? What kind of yeast, right? Dad. So, she... Come on, dad. (laughs) So, she had to start experimenting. And now what she does, and I believe this is legal, so I hope we're not getting her in trouble, is... and, And the reason it was such an interesting drink, if we take a step back, go back to our episode on cuts... When you cut that barley distillation run early, you cut out a lot of the tails, you're getting a different expression, even if you're then diluting with water. Mm -hmm. So, it's a pretty unique drink. Totally different. And so, that's what she ended up doing. She ended up cutting at 60% uh, on her distillation run and then she immediately diluted it down to a a legal strength for storage. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's how she still makes that brand today. And she never would have even had the idea except that her father didn't keep good (laughs) records. So... Little bit of a silver lining there, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I suppose so. It's, it's remarkable that these little, you know, who knows why he would have just left it there at 60 or 55 or whatever it was um, for, for so long because it could have been any number of things that disrupted his work day or, or the flow of what the distillery was doing. I really wish I had been, you know, a little bug on the wall when he first put it in there just to figure out how
3: old it was when it ended up in the bottle. Sure. Sure. Uh another one of her early projects actually was to build a a new aging warehouse. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so she built this all cedar very large warehouse next to the original distillery uh to increase her aging her storage capacity. And she packed it full of of tanks of stuff her father had made. Mm-hmm. Uh and then that's really how she kind of got reorganized I guess when she when she did that audit of the distillery she figured it all out the inventory and and uh She set it all up. Then she also, I think, I think she keeps much better records,
2: Mm
1: -hmm.
3: but she also might be a little bit forgetful. It might run in the family a little bit because we have a story that'll come up later. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think. Fair. and Very fair. She's been busy as well. I mean, she's made 10 new brands since she took over about 15 years ago. Yeah. So that's almost as many as her dad Uh in less than half the time. So she's putting her own fingerprint on it, right?
0: Absolutely, and she innovates a lot. She does try new things. There's still something very old school about everything that she comes out with. So um, she's very dedicated to. I think we could probably say the what she grew up smelling and what she grew up around. She she brings that with her decades later into the
3: spirits that she produces. Yeah, I mean that, that's fair. We didn't actually mention it, but she was born technically born in the distillery. At least she was born in the family home. She wasn't born at the hospital. Yeah. So Motoko gave birth to Masako in the family home, which shares walls with the distillery. And so she she grew up around these sights and smells and sounds. And so it's just part of her nature at this point. Yeah, I don't think she she spent
0: really any time during her youth more than a couple sliding doors from the still.
1: Yep.
3: Yep. Completely fair. That kind of sums up the distillery's history, but what about their philosophy? What's what do they what drives them? What's, what, do you, what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's a great question, especially what we just said about how she's very old school in her approach. And there's um, tradition in everything that happens there. And when you go to the distillery, you see it, you feel it. And well, why don't we just ask her, you know, directly? We took the liberty of interviewing Masako Furusawa. And while she doesn't speak English, we've got some voiceover to help you understand what she's saying.
3: Yeah, and as a listener note, we recorded these interview questions with her uh, actually before we recorded this episode. So, if our transition back to uh, us continuing this discussion feels disjointed, that's why and I hope you'll forgive us. This is our first attempt at integrating an interview into this kind of format.
0: Uh, and one more listener note, Stephen did this interview on his own without me, so I'm going to disappear for a moment. And
3: anyway, without further ado, Masako Furusawa. Furusawa-san, thank you so much for joining the Japan Distilled podcast for this episode. You're actually our first guest distiller, so thank you very much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here.
3: How would you describe your family's company's philosophy?
1: I'm not sure if it's really a company philosophy But we are a family of shochu distillers, so we will continue to distill shochu. As the current owner, I must continue this tradition. I carry on our shochu concept, which is shochu that reaches your heart slow and steady. Like generations before me, we distill shochu with this in mind.
3: As I understand it, your mother was the first female toji in post-war, at least Miyazaki if not Japan. How did customers respond to a female shochu distiller? That must have been unusual at the time.
1: Motoko is my mother, of course. But I can't say for sure whether she was the first female toji. But there were no other female toji we knew about. I was told there was not much resistance to her taking the job because it was a chaotic period after the war. But it was a long time ago. So there may have been many things left unsaid.
3: In Japan, when a family business is involved, it's common for children to take over from their parents. Was that always your plan, or did you have other ideas for what to do with your life?
1: Furusawa Distillery is a family business, so yes, that's how it works. I am the oldest of three daughters. So when my youngest sister was born, when I was eight years old, my parents decided I would inherit the family business. From that moment on, I studied and prepared to be the next owner. My mother did the same thing before me. In fact, she was only three years old when my grandparents decided that she would become the toji after my father.
2: This is what I'm doing now. It doesn't feel strange to me. It's just the nature of things.
3: What was it like taking over the distillery so unexpectedly when your father passed?
1: Yes, my father passed away suddenly on October 17, 2007. It was in the middle of one of the busiest times for us, when we were preparing for production. He collapsed suddenly, and he was gone six hours later. My mother was there, of course. But I couldn't stop working. I was so busy. I barely remember anything from this time.
2: But it wasn't until six months later that I started to process the fact that he was gone and actually cried.
1: My father had turned our shochu into a nationally recognized brand, so his were big shoes to fill. I couldn't let his legacy die with him. I had been making shochu under his guidance for about three years at the time, so I am not sure how, but I managed to keep my composure. Fortunately, I received a lot of support from our customers, and other shochu makers from around Miyazaki.
3: Do you recall any particularly interesting moments or memories that you had from that time when you were taking over and either difficulties you had or people who were helpful?
1: After taking over, I realized how many people felt indebted to my father, how big of an impact he had. I really felt the power of his legacy. Even now, I'm sometimes at a loss about what my father would have done in a certain situation. Fortunately, my mother is still around to guide me, and several of our long-term customers are happy to offer their advice when I am unsure.
3: What's your plan for the future of the Furusawa Distillery?
1: As I said at the beginning, we continue to make shochu with our company philosophy, Yaizakura, that reaches your heart slow and steady. My mother expanded our portfolio, and my father took us nationwide. So, of course, I would like to do something special to pass on to the next generation. But I won't stray from Yaizakura. That's in my heart.
3: And one last question. What did you think when Christopher and I came to ask you if we could export your shochu to the U.S.?
1: When you first approached me, I was excited, but I was also nervous. However, once you came to the distillery and spent so much time carefully tasting our products to decide which you wanted to sell in America, I was very impressed. I knew then that I could trust you to introduce our shochu to the overseas market.
3: Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you very much.
3: And we're back.
0: Thanks for doing that. Sorry I couldn't join you for that interview, but absolutely several questions that we wanted to ask, and for one reason
3: or another, never got to before. Yeah, it's always such a pleasure to speak to her. She's just an absolute gem of a human being, so genuine, so caring and thoughtful, and really cares. Oh, she is. She's very funny. Yeah, she's hilarious. Too. She's, she's got an amazingly dry sense of humor. I love it. I totally agree. She's just, And she's just, you you almost want to hug her every time you spend time with her, but you know that that would absolutely horrify her if you actually did that.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm saying, yep. It would. Uh, the first time I met her yep. was uh, when I was working with the Japanese Sake and Shochu Makers Association or JSS for short in New York. And she and six other Miyazaki Shochu Makers came to the states several times over several years, and they were called the basically the Seven Samurai is what they called themselves. And she was the only one of them that didn't find an importer or distributor for her products. And I always just felt horribly for her that I thought she's making this really amazing, resolutely traditional shochu, and yet she couldn't find any buyers. Hmm. So when I first discussed the concept of honkaku spirits with you, I think I suggested. Her is one of the possible distillery partners for the company because I just feel like she really deserved to be uh, known and, and available in the States after all the work that she'd put in and and uh, how much she cares about these drinks.
0: Yes, you. I do recall the same. She, she was one of the first to come up, certainly in in Miyazaki. And we started working with her probably before anyone else, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. And we were actually a little bit nervous, to be honest, because what she sells in the U.S. or what Honkaku Spirits has brought in is so resolutely traditional. I mean, it's got funk, it's got body, it's got depth, it's umami. It's everything that you would expect from a very old school shochu, completely distinct from what is usually sold overseas, quite honestly. And if I may be so bold, quite different
3: from a lot of the the stuff that's available here in Japan. Yeah. And I- I realized when, when she was bringing over shochu samples on those trips with the other makers that her stuff was just way too unfamiliar. It wasn't the mainstream stuff that people expect from the shochu that's already available in the US. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't until we tasted some of her aged products or older products that it seemed like that might be the direction to go with her. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I I think that's absolutely accurate. I mean,
0: remember how things were... So disorganized, thanks to her father, Norimasa's bookkeeping. Well, after she built the new warehouse, she tucked several tanks in the back and kind of forgot about them. And that's actually how our three ladies, uh, quote unquote, how we refer to them internally, the three ladies were actually born. Our trio of a sweet potato shochu named Mahoko, a rice shochu named Motoko, and a barley shochu called Masako, named after um, three women from the family of course motoko was the third generation toji masako is the fifth generation toji and there's a, a chance that mahoko who i believe is just about to go to college could be the sixth generation toji so there's that family tie-in to these brands they've all aged for a minimum i think of now 10 years the youngest is
3: 10 i think and the oldest is up like eight over 17 years old now. That's right. I think the Mahoko brand, the sweet potato, I think should now be 18 because she would have made it. It is 18. So, she's just about to graduate from high school. That's right. I'll be honest. The first time I tasted Mahoko, the sweet potato shochu, I almost cried. Like I get emotional (laughs) with food and flavor. I'm a weirdo like that. Mm. And when I tasted it, I was like, this is unbelievable. I can't believe this spirit exists and that I got to try it. It's just, it's that elegant and beautiful to me. I think it's easily the oldest shochu ever to be imported to the US. And once that tank is gone, it's gone. Yeah. At least in, in that expression. And so it's really such a special drink. And fortunately, I think, and I think to your credit, they've been getting attention. The three brands have actually done quite well. Is that fair to say? Yeah, oh, geez, I can't even keep track of it
0: anymore. I remember the first time that that medals were awarded and we were so excited, but they've just kept coming. So I <laughs> I can't even remember. I know John Barleycorn has loved the hell out of all three of those expressions either in 2021 or 2022. Um there're probably several other accolades that I'm forgetting. Uh, do you, do you recall anything else?
3: It was Masako, I believe, that got the double gold vesting category, right? For Shochu of the Year last year, right? That's right. That's right. Yep. And then it was at Motoko ended
0: up in a cocktail at at uh Death and Company in Manhattan. That's right. It was in a phenomenal cocktail, which is remarkable because these three shochu, which are very old, they've spent a lot of time resting, are not cheap. And we said before Mahoko is, is about almost 18 years old now. It was actually distilled the year that Mahoko was born by her grandfather, uh, Norimasa, who wanted to commemorate her birth. So there's a lot of history tied into these things and they, don't, they, don't, they go for what I think in the United States market anyway can be considered top dollar as
3: far as shochu brands go. Yeah, I believe that's the last distillate that Norimasa made that still exists at the distillery. I think you're right. I think you're right, and so it really is a chance uh, to taste history, to to experience what what he was making uh, back in the day. I have a suspicion we were told that that was made with kogane sengon, sweet potatoes. Mm-hmm. But remember, he didn't keep good records. Yeah, and it really does express like a purple sweet potato shochu. So, I'm wondering <laughs> if it's a different a different potato. Many times, yeah. But yeah, no, really, really beautiful drinks uh, from Fudasawa, and it really is amazing that these handmade shochu that have been aged so long are actually being used in cocktails. Yeah, and it just goes to show that the craft cocktail world really does pursue quality over cost when it comes to making their drinks because it's it's a it's a luxury to to be using these spirits.
0: Absolutely, and the the really really fun cocktails that are coming out these days, I think the the funky, the kind of the essence of the the sea, the nearby Pacific Ocean are very apparent in the, the trio of products from Fudusawa, And I think that's one reason why they have found so much um, use in cocktail programs across the United States. I think that mushroom, that brine has been very interesting at 35% ABV for a number of bartenders. And they've you know, kept us on our toes in terms of continuing to reorder it. And for that, we are incredibly grateful.
3: Oh, absolutely. I think and we should also talk about the packaging. I mean, it's got a kimono motif. Basically, it's like the obi, the belt from a kimono as the yeah. label wrapping around the bottle. And that was the work of a Japanese designer. Is that right? Right. Yeah. Her name is Minase Kake and she lives in Tokyo, Japan, but that wasn't always the case. That's right. I actually first met her when she was living in New York and she was going to design school. She was a part-time bartender at a shochu bar called Shochu Bar Hachan, which those of you who have been drinking shochu for a long time and spent time in New York, uh, you know that place and and love that place. May it rest in peace. As we started to think about who could do design work with Honkaku Spirits, Justin Cobb, a friend of mine and, and a fan of the show, he had stayed in touch with Minase after she'd gone back to Tokyo, and recommended her. And then you and I actually met with her when I was in Tokyo, and she seemed like the perfect fit to design, uh, to d- design this line. Yeah, and
0: she uh, has been involved in several products uh, that are part of the CNS line in in the Honkaku Spirits portfolio. Yeah, just phenomenal work on that that entire Obi collection, those, that trio of Furusawa products that have that belt across it. And also the neckline
3: tag, the neckline sticker, which is really elegant as well. Yeah, and it, that also won a design award from the John Barleycorn Awards for label design, which I thought was really uh, credit to Minase and her work. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, where, absolutely. where can people find uh, these Furusawa products, Christopher? Well, I guess the easiest
0: place to go is HonkakuSpirits.com distributed by Winebow in the U.S., in most markets anyway. You can just go to Honkaku Spirits, search for barley shochu, search for rice shochu or, or sweet potato shochu, and you'll find there's a common theme between them with their labels, and you can also use the finder retailer to figure out where they might be sold in a zip code near you. Actually, you can also buy them in Japan now, they're available through New York wine traders in Japan. So if you happen to live in this part of the world and you want to try these very limited products out, we have decided to make a few cases of them available to the shochu-loving
3: public here as well. Yeah, very cool. That's that's great to hear. Any plans to bring over any future Futosawa products? Have you thought about that at all? I think
0: absolutely. She's such a good partner in terms of being very receptive to new ideas and tolerating our really probably infuriating indecisiveness and, and ability to change tack on a moment's notice and come up with new things. I think she's she's in it 110%. We talked about Hitori Aruki in the past, and we've been bending her arm for a while. I think eventually she's going to have to relent and slice <laughs> off a small allocation for us. Let's hope so. Just because we can be pretty persistent um but yeah i'm i'm gunning for that absolutely everything she creates is is a head turner i mean she also makes soba shochu which is really really interesting so there's a lot of potential for future brands from furusawa
3: absolutely yeah no question i i went to visit her recently with george padilla from rule of thirds right uh, The right. izakaya owner uh, based at uh, a wonderful izakaya in uh, greenpoint brooklyn and he absolutely fell in love with her Satozake brand which is actually her her newest release that she created i think it's a 40 or 41% uh alcohol sweet potato shochu mm-hmm. uh, really really nice so yeah oh that's cool that that uh, spirits has at least eyeing or has ideas for other other brands down the road yeah you uh sipping on anything i am in fact i
0: am i am having a little bit of uh motoko rice shochu just because I like I said before, I love I love the mushroom notes on that. I love the you can you can hear the waves almost with that one.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really, really I mean, I think of all of the products that I can think of. And I'm not just I'm not just talking about what's available in the US or what Honkaku Spirits is doing, but of all the products that I can think of in the shochu world, that may be the most umami driven shochu in my memory. It's such an interesting drink. I think there were some Awamori that might run give it a run for its money on the umami side. Sure. But I'm not sure there's another shochu that has quite that that punch. So yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, agreed. What are you what are you sipping on? I'm an, I went in a completely different direction when I visited her last time. She gave me a bottle of the uh Nichinan only Yaizakura. Ooh. Cool. So only available locally. It's 20% alcohol expression, which is common in Miyazaki. It comes in that super ugly green bottle, 900 ml bottle that I absolutely adore because it's just so dumb. <laughs> yep, it is. And it's it's a really nice, light, easy drinking uh, sweet potato shochu. Again, you're getting that little bit of brininess of the ocean, salt air. So, yeah, really, really good stuff. She's just, uh, I become a bigger and bigger fan every time I visit and every time I, I, I try her stuff. So, I, I I mean, I guess we could say this episode was sponsored by Honkaku Spirits, huh? Uh, yes, sure. Yeah, why not? I mean, uh, it only makes sense
0: at some point for that to happen. I'm surprised it's episode 40. We waited until episode 49. But um, okay, since we're sponsoring now, all of a sudden, I'm going to plug it a little bit. Um, so to learn more, please, of course, check out www.honkakuspirits.com where you can not only find all of the products in the in the Spirits portfolio, but you can also sign up for our booze letter which is pretty irregular. So we promise that if you do give us your email address, you will not be getting anything. It won't be even once a month, honestly. And you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. We are also on Facebook. So thank you all very much for listening. If you have not already, then please consider rating and reviewing the Japan Distilled Podcast wherever you enjoy listening to it. It really has helped others to find the show. And I know that we say that every time, but I truly mean it. And please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter or Instagram, whether you want to participate in the upcoming episode 50, Ask Us Anything episode, or if it goes beyond that um, for, you know, as far into the future as you can, as, as you would like, you can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and at Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram.
3: And you can reach out to me at Japan Distilled on Twitter or Instagram. And please check out our website, japandistilled.com, for the show notes on this and every episode. We'll have pictures of the labels of these various brands, some pictures of the distillery, a little picture of Masako. Uh, We've never gotten a picture of Motoko. We don't know what she looks like, uh, at least not these days. And uh, also, please tune into our Japan Distilled Show Tuesday every Tuesday evening at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern U.S. and 10 a.m. Wednesday here in Japan. And of course, don't forget to sign up for our Patreon at
0: www.patreon.com slash japan distilled. Thanks, everybody, very much for listening. Have a great day. Keep smiling and kanpai. Kanpai. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Distilled podcast. This has been Christopher Pellegrini with my co-host Stephen Lyman. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata audio engineering by the incomparable rich pav who also edits the fantastic uncanny japan podcast with teresa Matsuura. please give that a listen as well if you're interested in japanese fables and ghost stories